Well, it's a privilege to be able to preach um, and open God's Word with you tonight. We are, as Ed says, we're continuing our journey through Acts. And uh, as we look back on the early church, we look back on our family history, we're learning lessons for today. And um, we've been talking a lot about how to be witnesses, how to be courageous and sharing the message of the resurrection. And tonight we're starting at verse, uh, sorry, chapter 4, verse 32. And then we're going all the way through chapter 4 into, verse, uh, into chapter 5 up to verse 11. So if you've got a Bible, do read along um, with me or you can follow it on the words behind. It says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. In chapter 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposable? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And a great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. And Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. This is God's word. Yeah, thanks be to God. Amen. Yeah, it's, it's one of those passages that's not like, you know, among your top ten quoted verses for the year. Um, let me start with a story. So during my time at university in London, I worked for a catering and hospitality company. It's actually called Last Supper, um, ironically, but it wasn't a religious thing. And I was often out until the early hours of, of the morning, kind of at these events and parties, and most of them were pretty luxurious um, occasions. We did kind of uh, movie premieres and, uh, you know, big galas for um, art museums. And I'd just be standing there, you know, serving drinks and doing whatever. Uh, I mostly was put on drinks, actually. And I'd just stand there with my tray kind of in the corner of the room and people would come and go. And it was, it was quite nice, actually. I could see the whole party kind of happening around me and just watching what was going on. And most of the time, people were, you know, just enjoying themselves, enjoying the the luxurious, um, abundant party. Uh, But there'd always be a few people 
um, and noticed they'd kind of clock that the canapes were starting to come out and they'd, they'd notice where the kind of kitchen door was and they would just linger around the door and you just get this small like, group of people who would just be there ready for the, the mini burgers and the seafood and all that. And it just used to annoy me quite a lot because it's like, there's so much food at this party, like you don't need to be there. Um, and it stops the food kind of spreading out to the rest of the guests and they, you know, then they don't get any. Um, and I have to say that actually the last few weddings I've been to, I've been exactly that person and I've <laughs> completely um, mugged the canapé, um, what are they called? Runners. So not judging, just an observation that I made. And at this party, you can see that there's two kind of mindsets. There's a mindset of abundance where, you know, there's enough, let's enjoy ourselves, let's just have fun. And there's the, the mindset of scarcity, which says, I don't know if there's going to be enough. Um, I'm going to have to monopolize on these canopies. And here in Acts, we can see these two mindsets um, shown quite clearly in these two stories. Um, so first, we have the early church. We have um, a particular shining example among them from Cyprus, for the Cypriots in the house. Um, his name's Joseph, and they call him Barnabas, which is son of encouragement, which is what a nickname to be given. I think he must have been absolutely stoked. Um, he sells a field and brings the money to share amongst the community, as we just read. And in other words, he's bringing life to this party. In contrast to this, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who withhold money, as we've just read. Um, but more importantly, they lie to the church, and crucially, Peter says, they lie to the Holy Spirit. So they withhold a portion of the gift that they claim to be giving for themselves, and they suffer incredibly severe consequences. And this passage is quite short. Uh, we're not told loads about, you know, their motives or the backstories. It's, you know, we just have these facts here. Um, but I think these stories act as both an encouragement and a warning. Um, but not only that, I think they reveal something fundamental about the way that we see the world. Um, whether we're viewing it through the, the lens of abundancy or the lens of scarcity. And yeah, there's a lot of things you could say about this text. There's a lot of windows on it. Um, I, have, I have questions, I'm going to be honest, about this text. And we're all going to probably leave here with more questions about um, this text. But I do believe... Um, God's put on my heart to talk about these two mindsets because I think we all actually wrestle and we're somewhere kind of in the middle of these two a lot of our lives. Uh, I know that's true for me, so I'm assuming it's true for some of us here. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at these two mindsets, abundancy and scarcity, both in these um, passages here, but also in the wider biblical story. And I have to say, I owe a lot of my thinking to the guys at the Bible Project. Alex has been um, graciously listening to me ramble on about them for a few weeks. Um, but do go and check them out if you want to hear more resources on things like this. And um, they're absolutely brilliant. So these two mindsets, they're not kind of abstract com um, concepts for us to kind of ponder um, they are fundamental to how we live, and whether we know it or are aware of it, they influence our choices every single day. And so I've, I've kind of started to define them, but the abundance mindset believes that the world has been created inherently abundantly, and we are being hosted by a generous host. And the scarcity mindset believes that there's never quite enough to go around and we have to protect ourselves, we have to fend for ourselves. So the abundance mindset um, trusts God can provide everything we need and a scarcity mindset has to trust in one's own efforts um, to ensure safety, to ensure provision and it doubts God's provision. And yeah, I... 
if I'm honest, and my day-to-day experience is that I do sit somewhere in between um, these worldviews. You know, I want to trust wholeheartedly that God is an abundant provider. But life experience often kind of tempts me to fall back into this scarcity mindset. You know, will I have enough? Um, can I be generous? Can I give this away? Um, or will I be left empty-handed? And of course, sometimes there isn't enough. You know, there's famine, um, starvation, there's people without homes. And so even Jesus, who told his disciples not to worry, even he, um, sorry, I've completely lost my place. Yeah, even he experienced poverty, didn't he? Um, Incredible poverty, in fact. And so how was he able to sustain this um, mindset that God's provision was always abundant in all circumstances. So three things tonight. I always do thing, things in threes. So firstly, God is a generous host. We're just going to dive into that a little bit more. Secondly, what's the problem? Um, why is this party being ruined? And thirdly, God's plan to renew and redeem what's broken. Um, he's rescuing the party, in other words. And then through that, how can we be party people? And I'm quite excited about this. I've been, yeah, praying and processing it for the last couple of weeks. Um, I think it's a real challenge. I think it's an encouragement. I hope you'll feel the same. And I hope we can actually journey, um, journey together into the fullness of what God has for us as, uh, as a community. So let's dive in at Genesis 1. Um, as God is creating the cosmos, we find incredible abundance and variety. And there's these I love this casual throwaway line that says, he made the stars also. Um, Gizzy, have we got that slide? So um, this, this is how many stars there are, um, if we are able to do it. So it's 200 sextillion. So that's two with 21 zeros or 200 billion trillion stars. So it's like, he made the stars. And it's like, yeah, he made quite a few stars there. And um, there's such abundance, like, we don't even know what's out there, and he's, he's made that. And then you come closer to Earth, and it's like the water is teeming with living creatures. Um, I love this as well. I love trees. And it says in Genesis 2, verse 9, the Lord made all kinds of tree grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. So it's not just trees kind of functionally we're eating and surviving. It's like, no, there's beautiful trees that are just there um, for us to enjoy. And it's a picture of wonderful abundance. And this is what the scripture teaches us, you know, from page one. We are being hosted by a generous host. And when you're being hosted by someone generous, you don't need to focus on your needs. You can actually just enjoy um, the creation. You can enjoy the people that you've been um, put around. And then God says, okay, now you go be fruitful and multiply. You know, let's spread the party. Let's spread his goodness. And but sadly, as we know, the story of the Bible and our daily experience, um, in Genesis 3, instead of trusting in the abundance of God, humans are deceived into believing that what God has given them is actually less than they need. Um, their experience of abundance turns into a mindset of doubt and scarcity. And then they take what is outside the borders of what God has given us to enjoy. And yeah, as the story goes, they take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this leads to a downward spiral of anger and jealousy and even violence in literally two chapters. So even though the Bible starts with this picture of a generous host, we quickly find that humans are unable to trust God. And we fall into this self-perpetuating cycle of doubt, anxiety, and inequality. So the, the abundant party is really starting to unravel. 
So then if we zoom in on Ananias and Sapphira, we can look at them as examples of people who are trapped in this mindset. And there's no way around the fact this story is a confusing one. It feels shocking. It even feels a bit awkward. It's just like, this doesn't fit into my picture of Jesus being gentle and gracious towards sinners like me. And most kind of commentaries I've tried to read suggest that it's the fact that it's not that they didn't give the whole amount um, that's their downfall. It's the fact that they have misled and tried to convince Peter and even God that they've donated the whole entire sum. And for conspiring to lie as they did at such a time, they were struck dead. And their actions were in such a stark contradiction to what God was doing in the early church that there's this kind of swift judgment that actually doesn't happen again um, in the rest of the New Testament. And as I said, I've got a lot of questions about this, but I think um, it serves as a warning for us who would seek to use the church, um, seek to use the living God, the Spirit, um, for their own advantage, um, for their own desires and agendas. Um, and Paul says in Galatians 6, 7, God cannot be mocked. You know, who, who is the God that we are serving? Um, we don't take these things lightly. I love C.S. Lewis in Chronicles of Narnia. Narnia he says about Aslan, he's not a tame lion. You know, and our God is not, not to be mocked, as Paul says. And so behind the, the lie that Ananias, um, sorry, behind the lie, is Ananias and Sapphira's inability to trust God and to bring the full amount that they said they were bringing. And so we can see the effects of scarcity in this story, um, but I think we can recognize the effects of this mindset being played out in the whole kind of life around us and often within our own hearts. You know, how often do I prioritize my own needs, my own desires, uh, my time and money over the people around me? And uh, the fear that there won't be enough for me or my own needs leads to the belief that the only way to survive is to store up resources um, for myself, even if that means my neighbors might actually be deprived. And it's easy to justify these things out of fear and scarcity mindset. So the Bible teaches the problem of scarcity isn't actually a lack of resources. Actually, God's still trustworthy, but it's this mindset that leads to scarcity. And... I know this feels quite depressing right now. It is going to get better. Um, there is a solution. Um, but if we just think about this a little longer, this leads to envy, it leads to anger and violence and a world that seems like there genuinely is not enough. Um, maybe actually you look at famine and you say, okay, surely God, there's not enough here. Like, this is a natural disaster. Um, what are you doing here? How is that anyone's fault? But actually, if we even looking in the Bible, in the um, Genesis account, there's this terrible famine in Egypt, in the Middle East. And because of wise and godly leadership and generosity, the whole region was still able to manage. Um, so even if we look at natural things like this, actually, if you have wise and godly people who are able to be generous, um, actually, we can see this mindset is, is more prevalent than we think. And so just to add an obvious kind of slightly silly example, um, in the, the early kind of lockdown, so like March to May um, 2019, just remember like going into the shops and seeing or trying to buy toilet paper or trying to buy beans, and it's just not there. Um, and you just think, what's going on? There's enough toilet paper in the world for me to have, you know, one pack. As you know, it's a bit of an emergency. You need toilet paper. Um, I've just, for a bit of light relief, I've got this picture of my mum in Waitrose of all places. Um, this is the toilet paper aisle, and there's just nothing there. So, 
you know, and we're, it's a bit of a silly example. We can see this is exactly how this mindset plays out. And if we return to the analogy of the party, um, this is the moment where the party guests, not only have they hoarded around the kind of entranceway, but they've actually taken those canapé trays into a little room all by themselves. They're taking those resources um, and, and keeping them for themselves. And it's like they can't enjoy the party. They're full of anxiety and, and um, they can't have good, good time with their friends, can't have good time with the host, and they're actually ruining it for everyone else. Um, you know, the guests aren't able to enjoy what God or what the host has prepared for them. So how is it possible to sustain the mindset that God is generously hosting us in an abundant world when this is our daily experience or a lot of our daily experiences? And Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount and also in Luke 12 encouraged us clearly to have this mindset. And he reframes the story again with Jesus being, uh, with God being the generous host. Um, and he, this is how Jesus saw the world. Let's read together from Luke 12, 22. It's another familiar um, portion of scripture. And he says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or, uh, sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. And then jumping forward to 33. So sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Just amazing words of Jesus. And it can be so annoying when you're really stressed um, and someone, like, you know, with great intentions just comes over and says, just relax. Or even worse, when they say chill out, um, it's never helpful as I've learned um, trying to help my wife in this way. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's just a really unhelpful thing to, to hear. And sometimes, I don't know if this has been your experience, we come to these words of Jesus saying, don't worry. And it's like, come on, man. Have you seen what's happening in my life? Um, have you seen the news? How can you say, don't worry? And Jesus knew about poverty and violence. He grew up under the brutality of a Roman occupation. He was used to this violent military presence. And he was used to people's land or livestock being just taken away because of debt and poverty. And he knew what it was like to be a refugee and to be without a home. And yet so firm is his trust in God, being a generous host, that he can say, don't worry. Um, so finally, kind of how, how can he say that? How is God going to redeem the party that has gone horribly wrong? And perhaps if you and I were hosting this party, we might be tempted just to give up. Um, you know, this is just not gone to plan at all. Um, but God doesn't give up. And what we read in Scripture is that in order to fix what humanity had broken, God gives yet another gift. And this gift is his greatest and most costly gift yet. He gives himself. Um, we all know the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He gave his only son. And the host comes to restore the party. He knows that we are hopelessly deceived by the lie that there isn't enough. So the problem isn't, or the solution isn't that we just redistribute the wealth and we, you know, 
share what's, what's still available. Um, it doesn't fix the deeper problem. What needs to happen is for this lie to be defeated once and for all. Um, the lie that says God isn't, isn't a trustworthy provider. And that is exactly what Jesus was doing and proclaiming through his life and death. He announced the kingdom of God is here. And he demonstrates this in his life in the way that he healed diseases. He brought honor to people that society shamed. And he restored broken lives again and again and again. And this culminates in the way that he gave his, his entire life. You know, he would even die for us. As it says, no greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And in the death of Jesus, we see the ultimate expression of God's abundant, generous love. Um, Romans 8.32 gives you, if we could have that one. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So if God can be trusted to not even withhold his only son from us, how much more can he be trusted to provide for our day-to-day needs? And I'm not a parent, as um, many of you here are. I can't begin to imagine the incredible pain of giving up your only son. I can't begin to imagine that. And we have a father who sees our anxieties, he sees our scarcities, and he doesn't just feel sorry for us. He doesn't give us this cheap, um, you know, don't worry, you know, you'll be fine. He steps into our pain and he says, my child, look at my son, look at the cross and see my love for you. And only in me will you find everything that you need. And only by living the ways of my kingdom will you experience true abundance. And it just shows God's love can turn death into life and scarcity into abundance. And when we think about all that God has given us in creation, in Jesus, we can for ourselves break that power of the lie that is being held over our lives. Um, Instead of hating our enemies, we can pray for them. We can bless them. Um, Instead of storing up wealth for ourselves, we can give it away and store up treasures for ourselves in heaven. And treasure in heaven, it doesn't mean, you know, brownie points for some long-awaited day over there somewhere. Um, It means here and now, we can partner with God in building the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven until that final day when he will return and restore all things. And in the book of Revelation, we've got that wonderful picture of how God will make all things like they were always designed to be. Um, You know, God amongst his people in this eternal party. No more crying, no more pain, no more scarcity, just abundant life forever and ever. But in this life, uh, we might not always see the return on those investments. You know, when we talk about investments, we often talk about return. Is this going to be worth it? Am I going to make more out of this? And to to the world, these heavenly investments, um, they might seem a little bit foolish, perhaps, or you know, just why would you, why would you do that? Um, and sometimes you give, and Maris was sharing this amazing story last week. Sometimes you give and you see this kind of incredible return. God outgives you and you think, oh man, I'm going to give some more. Um, and then sometimes you give and it just feels costly. But nothing is ever wasted in God's economy. And Helen spoke just amazingly this morning um, about having this eternal perspective Do we have an eternal perspective on our money? Do we have an eternal perspective on our time and our possessions? 
Because what we build now with our generosity can last into eternity. You can't take our savings. We can't take our investments. Why not rather invest in the lives that could be won for the kingdom right now into eternity? Why not invest in those relationships um, that will form when we demonstrate the love of God with our finances, with our time? And Jesus invites us to live like the party has begun now. The real party has already started through him. And what we have now is this foretaste, um, this reflection of what's to come. And so finally, I just want to share just really briefly, you know, through, through this kind of journey on Acts, we've been looking at how we can testify to the resurrection. How, how can we be a, a witness? And what we do with our money and possessions, it's a big, it's a big topic. Um, it can be awkward to talk about it publicly. But what we do with our stuff and our cash it's a physical demonstration of the resurrection and the kingdom of God. It's not like, oh, how, how, much can I, how much can I afford to give? It's actually, God has given me everything. Um, you know, what can I give to contribute to his kingdom? Uh, just reading this passage again, um, Acts 4.33 says, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace, God's gift, was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. So it's not just through our words that we testify. It's through our actions that are a powerful signpost to the abundance of God. And just on a really practical level, um, what does this look like? I'm sure if we chatted now, we could have um, so many different amazing opinions. But I just wanted to say, well, actually, firstly, I wanted to say that I have, I have been blown away by the generosity of people in this church on many occasions. Um, and I'm learning a lot from you, and I just, yeah, wanted to say that first. Um, so thank you for being an inspiration. But we can always keep growing, and I want to look at how can we as a community learn this mindset together? You know, how can we be an abundant community together? You know, it's not, it's not competing or outgiving. Um, it's being of one heart and one mind. So we can't quantify or set blanket rules on generosity. Um, you know, that kind of misses the point. So the way we grow and live in this mindset is through the personal presence of the Holy Spirit. Just listening to those, those nudges, those promptings, seeing those opportunities for generosity everywhere with our time, with our money, and with our attention. And uh, this, I said finally about 10 minutes ago, but finally. <laughs> um, there's a story uh, with when Moses, he's kind of anxious about... Um, what he's going to say to the Israelites and how he's going to lead um, Israel out in this big liberation. And God just says, you know, what's in your hand? And he looks down, oh, well, I've got this stick. And, um, and God's able to use the staff in his hand um, to, well, through <laughs> a lot of miracles and signs and wonders as well. But he uses what Moses has and he leads this great liberation, the liberation of the, you know, the Jewish story. Um, and if we look at our lives and we look at what's in our hands, sometimes it doesn't feel very much. I just wanted to encourage you, whatever it is, whether it's a lot, whether it's a little, God can multiply it like, you know, loaves and fishes, that story. You know, he can multiply what it is in your hand. If we are open-handed and we offer what we have to God, um, you know, he's going to do the rest. And God calls us to be prayerfully bringing all these things um, to him for use in his kingdom. And it takes courage. So I just wanted to end tonight really just praying for us and um, praying for myself and uh, everything I've said tonight I say firstly to myself um, and to all of us um, so I wonder if you would stand with me and I'm going to just ask God to 
to move again. Father, we can't begin to understand your generous love for us, um, the depths of your kingdom and of your generous sacrifice to us. I just pray right now, even in this moment, Lord, you would you would seal in our heart um, the good things that you've done for us and give us this mindset that in your kingdom there is enough. Um, even when our experience tells us other things, Lord, your kingdom is abundant. Your kingdom is life. And I pray that you would give us courage. Um, Father, I ask that you give us wisdom. And Father, I do ask... <laughs> this community here, Lord, would you do great things among us? Uh, we pray that this would be a sign that you are alive, that you are risen, and that you are on the move in St. Albans and the world. I pray that we would see many people saved through the way that we can use our possessions and our time and our money for you, Jesus.